0: Welcome to The Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering
1: information bankers like you need to know.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Banker Midweek. If you're listening carefully, you will be able to find out that I am not Liz Lumley. I am Mm -hmm. John Everington. Liz is... Off at the FT Crypto and Digital Assets event happening just around the corner here in London. Uh, today I'm joined by none other than our editor Joy McKnight and our reporter Alia Shibley. Joy and Alia. Hello. Hello, hey John. Good. So, as our listeners know, the Bank of Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on the Bankers site and newsy bits that will influence future stories. And there is no bigger story, really, this week, Joy, than <laughs>
1: The Bank of the Year. The Bank of the Year.
0: Two thousand
1: and twenty three.
0: It's finally been published, and we had our gala dinner on, on Thursday night, which was a really wonderful event, I think. So. Yeah, so, yeah. On the
1: 30th of November, in a very hip uh, and art deco uh, hotel, which I loved.
0: Indeed, it was great. So, so, yeah. So, I mean, so Joy, I mean, maybe if you can just kind of like talk about some of the sort of the big sort of findings and sort of conclusions from this year's awards program and also just from the night itself.
1: Yeah, it's a it was another fantastic year for the bank of the Bankers Bank of the Year awards. Um, we reached an almost record number of submissions, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. We actually awarded banks in 140 countries Bank of the Year awards, which is again pretty impressive. Uh, and the global winner, which I can now say because it's uh, past the embargo date, was UniCredit, uh, Italy's uh, one of Italy's biggest banks. Uh, and I th- and the reason it won it won global, it won Western Europe, it won Italy, and and it also picked up Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. And I think the most interesting thing about it is that, um, you know, it's a big turnaround story for the bank itself. And they've been going through their uh, strategic plan called Unicredit Unlocked since 2023. And they've been making huge strides. Mm -hmm. And that goes across Unicredit's footprint. Uh, And it was fantastic because we had Andrea Orcel, the CEO of Unicredit, addressed the conference via video link. Um, and then we've also, the other things that I wanted to bring up was like, A, digital transformation across the board and mm-hmm. banks across the world. That was, that was one of the major themes uh, within all the winning submissions. The other major theme was this, a real turn to, again, financial inclusion and sustainability which I thought was really good. And we have two special awards on that. We have financial inclusion and we also have banking in the community. Um, But sort of those kind of things really permeated all the different uh, you know, submissions from all the countries around the world, which I think is really interesting, and obviously that ha- those two things have been a theme over the past couple of years. But I think it really came to the fore this year, mm-hmm. so it was great. And then we had on the night we had more than three hundred bankers in the room, which mm-hmm. was amazing, from all across the world, from ConBank in Mongolia uh, to BBVA in uh, Latin America, um, which picked up two countries actually in Latin America, uh, and then. We also had a very special host, Krishnan Guru Murthy, who is the lead anchor of Channel 4 News Indeed, in the yeah. UK, but also had just been on Strictly Come Dancing. So <laughs> I think every, when I said that during the, my address, everyone was like, woo! <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was really great. And the whole evening was really spectacular because obviously it really celebrates the cream of the crop in the banking industry across the globe.
0: Indeed yeah no it's always a special occasion for us at the Banker so I mean you and I Joy we've done a few Mm. few of these awards in our time so Alia this was your first um, sort of Bank of the Year awards night so what what, what did you make of the night?
2: Yeah it was it was my first and it was amazing it was very very fun I didn't know what to expect or almost who to expect of course bankers but um, yeah it was it was I think it's the global point that Mm. was really what um, struck me yep. um, speaking to banks I've never spoken to before people from countries I've never been to before and that was really the fun thing for me and I was in between uh, banks from Brunei and South Korea oh, and fantastic. so that was a really interesting table to be on and really enjoyed it and of course with Krishnan Guru Murthy being there I had to get a selfie with him. <laughs> so that was another highlight for me but yeah a great evening.
0: Very good, very good. And how well, about
1: you, John? What did, what did you take away from uh, it? Well,
0: I mean, I also got a sort of a selfie with Christian. <laughs> so I mean if, I mean for those for those of our non-UK listeners, I mean Christian and Guru Murti has been kind of he's been the anchor of Channel Four News for a, a very long time, for about twenty-five years. I mean, and one of the sort of most authoritative news programs on TV here in the UK. So I've kind of very much a figure that I kind of grew up with mm. watching on on a nightly basis. So that was really great. Um, yeah, a sort of a wonderful vibe around the sort of the evening. And also, as a special extra treat for me personally, (laughs) there was another Everington on stage. There aren't that many Everingtons in this world, which a lot of people think is a very good thing. Uh... Um, but yeah, so we had Sam Everington, who was the CEO of Engine by Starling, who um, very generously sponsored this evening, uh, the evening's events. He was up there on stage, kind of giving a little speech, and I was able to kind of meet Sam um, later on. Sort of, we we, we still <laughs> did don't... a special handshake. Indeed, yes. We don't quite know whether we're related or not. We're, we're sort of, we're kind of, we're tapping our kind of various family WhatsApp groups just to make sure, to, just to see if there's a connection there. But yeah, no, that was that, that that was a nice treat for me personally. But yeah, but sort of beyond that, I was sort of. A really good night. Um, I was on the table uh, with a number of um, African and Middle Eastern mm. bankers from my region, um, from Ethiopia, um, from Qatar, from uh, Mauritius, uh, from Zimbabwe. Wow. So, so yeah, no, a, a great treat, a great evening. So of course, the bank of the year um, has been a very big thing, which we've been working up to for the past uh, weeks and months. But also looking at other stories um, and other pieces, which are on the Banker website right now, we have the latest instalment in Joy's interview with Ajay Banga, who's the president of the World Bank, who came into uh, Bracken House recently and um, gave a lot of his time for a, a series of interviews with Joy. And um, I think the sort of the most recent one focused on. Um, on the sort of sustainability focus of the world mm. bank didn't it joy so i mean what were the sort of kind of the big things which kind of came out of that conversation i mean obviously um, Cops going on in the background. There's a lot of stuff coming out of there. But I mean, what struck you from that conversation in particular? From what you yeah. were saying, Ajay was saying.
1: Yeah. So obviously, we recorded this uh, the video interviews ahead of COP28, but we released the last one on the Friday, which is just when COP28 was was starting. Um, I just thought it was such a fascinating interview because you know Ajay is actually changing the world bank's mission mm-hmm. to include you know creating a world free from poverty on a livable planet. So it's on the livable planet. That's sort of the addition. And I think that's, you know, he's really putting his finger on sustainability um, and, and, you know, and climate change. So that's a marked departure from his his predecessor Mm -hmm. um, at the World Bank. So, and he, what was really interesting, which which I thought was quite cool, was the fact that he, you know, as soon as he became a nominee, and then also when he actually took up the role as president. He's been on this world tour to really find out what people are interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, he made the statement at the annual meetings around this new mission statement, et cetera. So, yeah, so it's a very important area, that whole sustainability. And I think he's really starting to – he's such an interesting, intelligent person and really starting to look into how that, how the World Bank can work with other multilateral development banks as well as the private sector in order to try and really solve for, climate, uh, for the climate crisis that we're facing.
0: Indeed, yeah. And I mean, I think also, um, funnily enough, I mean, talking with some of the strands which are coming out of COP on Sunday, um, the head of the International Monetary Fund, Kristalina uh, Georgieva, she underlined the case for carbon pricing. Um, They're saying that the oil and gra- gas industry recognises the writing on the wall and just said that this is going to become much more of a feature going forward. And I think um, Ajay was also talking about... Um, Voluntary carbon markets, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, so that's a big thing, and obviously, voluntary carbon markets have been talked about for about twenty years. Certainly, yeah. But this is becoming a big focus for him because he thinks this this is the way to to solve a lot of the issues. Uh, so I think they've already signed up five countries to be a part of the the uh, the start of it, but obviously they hope to expand it. But the idea really is to create these carbon markets so that you know uh, the high-emitting countries and, and companies can offset their emissions to uh, countries and projects that are actually creating carbon sinks and things. So you see an, a, a different flow of allocation of money and, in order to actually do this. So that's, you know, I think, and I think he had a keynote spe- um, sort of conversation with Kristalina about this, about how they can actually make it work mm-hmm. and what. Like it's always there's always been a debate about what price should the carbon market should the carbon credits be set at, mm-hmm. etc. And he's not really worried about the price as much because he believes that will be, you know, market determined. But really, he just wants to figure out something that will get it actually off the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's really fascinating.
0: Indeed, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's an emerging issue. I mean, which we'll be covering um, in due course. Lots of coverage on the website at the moment um, around COP. Um, and the sort of the various issues which are being discussed there, and I'd like to sort of come back to you, Alia. Now, I mean, I think you just put up a sort of a piece in the last few days, which was talking about um, some new guidance from the UN Environment Programme Finance Initiative. Uh, UNEP FI, and so talking about sort of, I mean, helping banks kind of address diver- di- bi- <laughs> biodiversity loss. And so, I mean, can you just sort of maybe talk us through a little bit about the background of this this new initiative and, and what these guidelines mean for banks?
2: Yeah, sure. So they published them um, in November, and they're going to continue to publish more, including ones on adaptation targets and setting guidance for that. But really, for banks, the recommendations um, in the latest guidance talk about portfolio analysis and disclosure, um, and also capacity building, culture, and governance. Um, but it's also about advocacy and partnerships. So it talks about the role that banks play not only in looking at their own kind of profits and where they come from and who or what they invest in, but also advocacy for the clients that they work with mm-hmm. um, and the the organisations that make up the composition of their portfolio and I thought that one of the interesting things was that it's not just about you know doing good for the climate and doing good for nature but it's also about the business case behind this because as bankers know we're anticipating a lot of regulation and, and regulation it's still very uncertain what it might look like but the point is if if banks can take up voluntary voluntary initiatives like this they can actually be kind of ahead of regulation and also influencing it. Yeah. So um, that was one of the interesting things that I talked about with UNEPFI on this. But as I say, we can we can definitely expect more from them. Um, and the next thing that's coming up is the responsible banking climate adaption target setting guidance. So...
0: Indeed, I mean, and I think you make that point very well. That sort of banks, I mean, it's such a live issue, and banks really, it's in their interest to sort of to get involved in that early stage and sort Mm. of get on board and grasp the issues and help shape those shape those regulations before they come because they 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 will come. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Indeed. yeah. No. Very good. A very good read. So do check that out. And then also just wanted to sort of close off this um, particular episode with another um, story that you've written earlier about about the US banking sector. Now, next week, um, Liz is going to be back and she's going to be talking about um, the sort of the main developments of the year with a number of the editors here in the studio and i think of course one of the sort of the big kind of landmarks that we've seen in the past year was in march 2023 the sort of the collapse of silicon valley, valley bank mm. followed sort of kind of shortly afterwards by silvergate bank and signature bank and so there was a kind of a fresh panic within the sector um just seeing okay gosh is this is this going to happen yet again so and so i think We'll talk about the ramifications of that next week, but I think um you've also been talking um earlier about sort of you've been talking with people about what's what the um what the outlook is for those smaller banks those sort of those sort of those lower down ones I, I think there's a particular definition of kind of how they're defined mm-hmm. and sort of and just sort of what sort of kind of a year it's been, but also kind of what the outlook for for the next year is isn't it so
2: sure so I think um it's really about how the pressure on regional and community banks. Um, what does that actually mean for them mm. um, and how should they respond to that? So as you say, it's those smaller banks um, and so the the interviews I had was talking about what's the likelihood for more merger and acquisition kind of transactions and activity and it was it was split really. so um, I spoke with a former World Bank governor and and he's very sure that next year is going to be the the height of, of merger and acquisition activity and consolidation will be one of the ways that smaller banks can deal with the competition they face, mm-hmm. but also potentially a recession. Um, so, And I, I think that's what's driving it, the uncertain economic environment, but also uncertainty with regulation. And one of the questions really is, will next year see a recession in the US? And if so, how deep will that be? In um, the general view seems to be that consumers there are very worried about a potential recession and it being quite large, yep. but actually industry feels like it will be quite a small dip and manageable and something that banks have already accounted for
1: yeah priced in yeah Mm -hmm. so
2: um but yeah i'd be interested to hear also your perspectives on what next year might look like for a recession or not in the us
0: it's i mean it, it is very interesting i mean just coming back to the bank of the year awards i mean some of the discussions that we had there i mean um talking sort of with middle eastern banks and african banks just i mean I mean, Af- Af- Africa's been through kind of quite a sort of a difficult period, I mean, to put it mildly, just in terms of the inflationary um, sort of environment there and the impact that that's had on currencies. And um, there are a number of kind of major economies who are really sort of suffering sort of mm. from, from the shortage of currency, uh, of foreign currency. Um, and then also kind of within, I mean, within the Middle East, you get sort of a, a large focus on the kind of the oil exporters like the UAE, like Saudi Arabia, like Kuwait, But then, sort of, when you go to some of the other countries in the region, um, there are much more. There, it's a much more challenging operating environment. And I mean, talking with one bank um, in sort of in that latter category, he's he he was saying, yes, I think we're definitely going to see more consolidation going forward, just as the as the operating environment just gets that that little bit more tough. Mm. And so, I think sort of banks are just going to have to sort of pursue those kind of those opportunities when they when they come up just to sort of to, to strengthen their positions as it mm. were so how, i mean does that tally with
1: yeah i was going to come back actually on the, the situation in the u.s like it is a very heavily banked uh country and stuff and uh, there's so many small community banks and there has been a wave of consolidation that's been happening over the last few years i was talking uh to Nor menai uh, at the FT the banker banking global banking summit last week, um, just before the Bank of the Year awards, mm-hmm. um, and it was interesting because he he's at CTBC uh, in the U.S., which is a Taiwanese bank but obviously has a U.S. Um, thing. So, but he's worked in the industry for a very long time. But I was asking him exactly that question about what's happening in the U.S. Um, and whether the challenger banks actually are making it more difficult for those community banks. But he said the thing is, is that they they serve very specific niches within the market, mm-hmm. so especially around the SME um, uh, uh, sector, etc. That most of the, let's say, the big incumbent banks won't serve. But the challenger banks haven't quite made that inroads. E- they haven't quite made those inroads either. But I also think about that. So sort to of some of the bigger mergers that have happened recently, like around Truist Bank, um, and he was just sort of saying that he didn't believe some of the. Any of the really bigger ones would happen just because the regulators are quite nervous about, uh, yeah, creating uh, another sort of big bank. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, amongst that smaller end, it's just again, it's hard to it's hard to see for them to get the scale. And again, the challenger banks are, you know, they're much more agile, they're more nimble in terms of technology. And some of those community banks are working on quite old commu- uh, old technology as well. So I think there's going to have to be that refresh. Um, so anyways, yeah, it's, I think it's a super interesting discussion and uh, it's a bit uh, like, ooh, watch this space because mm. I think there will be some shake up next year for sure. Yeah.
0: No, Indeed, it's going to be sort of, a, sort of a big trend to watch kind of going forward. So outstanding joy alia thank you so much for for joining us and thank you very much indeed for your thoughts thank you thanks john so thank you very much indeed for tuning in today do tune in next week liz will be back at the helm and she'll be presenting a special end of the year show when all the editors come together to discuss the biggest developments of the past year and what's in store for the next year so do join her and us for that show thanks very much for listening Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.